Hello and welcome to Elixir Talk, your friendly neighborhood technical podcast about the Elixir programming language and ecosystem. My name is Desmond Bowie, and I'm here with Chris Bell. Hi, Desmond. Love that tagline. And I would like us to put that on the website ASAP. So it's a great differentiator. I've been working on that for the last 10 seconds. It is, you know, one of your finest intros to date. So thank you for doing that. (laughs) Thanks, man. What's new? What's new? Well, well, before we get into today's show and really tell you about what's new, we actually want to tell you a bit about um, some Elixir training that we're going to be doing really soon. Um, So Desmond and myself will be going on the road. We're going to five different cities across the US across November and October of this year. And we're coming to you teaching you two different Elixir workshops. So we're going to be in Chicago on October the 4th and the 5th. We're going to be in Portland, Oregon, October 18th and 19th. We're going to be in Austin, Texas, October 25th and 26th. Then we're going to be in Toronto, Ontario on November 15th and November 16th. And Atlanta, Georgia on December 6th and December 7th. Um, We are coming to you teaching you two different Elixir workshops. The first one is going to be a very beginner focused workshop to basically get you up to speed with knowing Elixir. You're going to go from basically zero to hero in one day, coming away with your brain hurting, thinking about recursion, thinking about functional programming, and thinking about Elixir. Devlin and I have ramped up many programming teams on the language, and we really, really want to teach you and hopefully some of your friends a bit more about the Elixir programming language and get you up to speed and have you leave in being able to actually go away and write an Elixir application. So if this interests you, we will be going to those cities again. So that's uh, just one more time. We're going to Chicago, Portland, Austin, Toronto, and Atlanta. So you can check out all of this on the website, which we'll be putting in the show notes at the end. So Uh, We'll be doing this beginner training on the Saturday, uh, and then we also have a manager training as well. My turn. So you may have noticed that uh, we mentioned two dates in each city. The second date will be a Saturday, and the first day will be a Friday. And the Friday is, uh, as Chris said, this manager training, which is more of like a – it's more for team leads or tech leaders who are not as interested in – writing code or how does a gen server work, but they're interested in how do I hire a team? How do I manage a team? What does it look like to use Elixir in production? What are the operational benefits of this? What's the support out there? What is the, what does the infrastructure in the ecosystem look like? We've done this before and we are here to answer your questions. So um, please join us on Friday morning for a breakfast and a presentation and kind of a round table discussion. We have a curriculum put together, but we also want to hear your questions uh, about what it's like to adopt Elixir. Maybe you're curious, but you have some concerns or some some thoughts, and we know we've been there, and we're here to help. So, um, yeah, be sure to check out one or both of those days. Tickets are um, on sale on our website. Uh, the engineering workshop is $250, and the leads training is $150. And if you want to get both, because maybe you're uh, an engineering lead who also writes code, we have tickets to both of them available at the combo price of $375. So we're looking at uh, group sizes of, what, Chris, 10 to 15 people? Yeah, but I hope less than 20. We really want this to be very intimate workshops where you get a bunch of time with myself and Desmond. And we don't want to make it like, 
too informal. We really want to like we want you to have a great experience there. So we're kind of focus this on like a small group size. Um, and again, we'll be doing this throughout October and November. And then hopefully, if this goes well, we might be able to do some more next year in some other places around the world. Maybe who knows. Yeah, stay tuned. I mean, we wanted to pick cities where there isn't a big Elixir conference. And um, so, yeah, we're looking forward to visiting you all in Chicago, Portland, Austin, Toronto, and or Atlanta. If anyone wants to come on the road with us, we can talk about that too. But, um, you know, if you're in one of those cities, then please reach out. Definitely. So you can find all of this information, including like exactly what's being taught in the uh, engineering leader curriculum and the engineer curriculum. You can get all of that on our website, which is elixirtraining.io. And once more, that's elixirtraining.io. Look for that in the show notes. We're also happy to announce that Pleroma has come on board as the uh, venue for our Chicago training. Uh, Pleroma has a great office downtown on uh, North Canal Street. They're an open source social network written in Elixir, so be sure to check that out. And we're also in talks with a couple locations in uh, Portland and Atlanta. So stay tuned for more info about that. If you are in Austin or Toronto and you have uh, some office space that we could use, please reach out. Uh, we'd love to connect. Um, if we end up hosting this at your space, then we'll have your logo on the website. We'll mention you in the podcast and uh, give you a free ticket to the training. So please get in touch. Awesome. So again, uh, we hope to we can see you there. And really, we just want to bring Elixir to more people. And we're really excited about doing that. So uh, keep your eyes and ears out for more information about Elixir training as well in the future. So should we like bring a videographer along with us to have the like behind the music of Elixir training? Yeah, I don't know how exciting that will be. I think it will mostly be me and you really stressed out, you know? <laughs> the decadent behind the scenes look at uh <laughs> yeah i can't Nerds imagine it's like yeah gonna be some like amazing documentary that we shot after that you know so uh, it's just like us in the hotel room watching star trek and just like narrating the script along with just, the show yeah. sounds great right <laughs> yeah so, totally i guess we should get on with the show as well sure let's do it so I'm back from ElixirConf. You're back from ElixirConf. Right? You were there. I remember yeah, you I being saw, there. I saw you there. <laughs> yeah, I definitely saw you there. I saw you sitting at the Erlef table a lot. Yeah, I spent I spent most of the conference at the Erling Ecosystem Foundation table uh, with Miriam Penna, which was great. We got to meet a bunch of interesting people and give out a handful of stickers. Um, we also gave a talk at the end of the conference, which I'm hoping will get posted online soon. I uh, just chatting about what the foundation's up to. Um, the big news is we are now taking grant requests and administering, administering, uh, what, deploying grants. So if you would like to request money from the foundation for your activity or training workshop or conference or whatever else, please check out the website because uh, that's now happening, which is pretty big news. Awesome. But um, yeah, I spent most of my time at the table and only got to see a handful of talks. You did. Yeah, I, yeah. But you're doing a great service to the community as well by sitting at the table and helping everyone. So I'm, And also we had the, just a shout out to the people who were at ElixirConf and came to our very small but great Elixir talk meet and greet that we hosted on the, yeah. I can't even remember what day. Desmond and I were in the pool right before we did it. And then we rushed over 
and got to meet a, f- a bunch of you and it was great. So shout out to yeah. all of you listeners. We sh- we were saying we should have had the meet and greet at the swimming pool. Yeah, that was like actually a big fail on our part. I um managed to spend quite a lot of time in the pool between talks and then on the Wednesday as well. So very happy we got to do that, including a great trip down the water slide as well. Um, oh man, the water slide was the best. <laughs> I have a really good video of Desmond coming out the bottom of the water slide, by the way. So I don't know if you want to see that, maybe get in touch. Uh, I don't know why you would want to see it, but he, he, he's <laughs> very it on happy. Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> maybe oh, I should man. just post that on Twitter. Yeah, but yeah, um, I go straight to ten-year-old boy on those things. <laughs> we didn't do Lazy River Conf like other Elixir podcasts, not to be named, but um, we just. You know, we did our own thing and we did a water slide conf. Water slide conf, exactly. Maybe we should do that again next year. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, good conference. I, I was not at a table, so I got to see basically all the talks. Um, well, well, as many as a, I can do because it was a three track conference and I can only see one at a time. But um, I was going to say, quite the <laughs> concurrency model. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would have posed an interesting problem. But I, uh, yeah, I, I saw some great talks. And I think what we're going to do with this show is just spend a little bit of time talking about some of the content there. There was obviously some big announcements. Um, but then there was also just some really, really great talks and, and got to meet and hang out with and see a bunch of great people as well so um just want to say thanks for everyone who came up to us who said they liked the listening to the show it's always really really nice to meet all of you um and i'm always surprised that people actually listen even now so thanks for that first of all hey man i just had a thought not to derail our um elixir conf recap episode uh but here we are recording this podcast episode which we will then edit and then publish at a later date uh but what if we just like twitch streamed this recording and then people could like sit in on it as it happened yeah does anyone do that like isn't that like a vlog then or something i don't know sort of i mean yeah then they would have to watch the video of us which you know we don't need to release but i was thinking like then people can follow along and just like plus one us while we're doing this and then it's yeah. a little more interactive, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think the interactivity would be nice. I think that, that's the problem with the podcast. It's like it's like record and obviously like edit a bit and then put it out there in the world and then that's it, you know? So mm-hmm. it would be nice to have something a bit more interactive mm-hmm. as well. Maybe we could do an AMA or something, like a live like AMA and um, kind of mix it up. Yeah, that's I don't a know. Yeah. Uh, okay, so should we talk about some of the the things that happened at ElixirConf. Yeah, on with the show. What uh what happened at ElixirConf? <laughs> okay, so let, let's let's talk about the opening first of all because the opening was a big deal. Um so for the listeners who have been under a rock or just haven't been catching up with any of the ElixirConf news whatsoever. Um the opening keynote of ElixirConf this year was by some of the Dockyard team. Uh, and it was talking about a project that has kind of been teased in the community for a while. Um, I don't, Desmond, did you see this like where they, they like, they showed a logo. They showed like the, they like hinted at a logo a few months ago and everyone got really excited about it. And like Todd put it as his like background on his computer or something. Did you see this? Who's Todd? Um, 
Todd Rezednik. Oh, Todd Rezednik. Yeah, thank you for doing oh. that. Um, sorry, Todd. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there was this like there was this tweet about the logo, and it was kind of like all like shadowy, and no one really knew what the logo was. And then boom, all of a sudden, the Elixir Comfy was revealed what this thing is. So what I'm talking about here is the reveal of Lumen, and. Lumen is a very interesting project that brings Elixir to WebAssembly as a compile target, effectively. So, um, Desmond, do you know what WebAssembly is? Uh, I was just going to say, Chris, why don't you t- talk a little bit about WebAssembly for some God of our damn listeners? It. I was hoping that you would do that, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, can, um, I can do a little bit of uh, poorly thought through and mostly incorrect information, if anyone would find that helpful. Yeah, I'm so my understanding of WebAssembly right now is basically WebAssembly allows you a much lower level access to the browser, um, not via not via JavaScript effectively. So WebAssembly itself is uh, a compile target, and I think it comes out as a bunch of bytecode. Is is that what your understanding is? You basically like build yeah. some package that it's then something runs that the browser inside understands the browser. Natively. Right, exactly. So the browser has this native understanding of the WebAssembly uh, bytecode that's produced, and then that gets run. And basically, the way I look at it is WebAssembly is this escape hatch from JavaScript where it's necessary, right? So other uses of it, like, so you've seen other languages like Rust and Go also compile to it. Um, And there's been some work there where people have written things like, really intense video editing software in WebAssembly where you just couldn't get the performance out of JavaScript, right? Um, So I I kind of think of it like this app, like if you think about the web as an app delivery mechanism now, this might be a bit controversial, then WebAssembly is almost like the native language, almost kind of like akin to what Swift is doing where you're building apps and then bundling them and then running in in this runtime, right? So you're getting lower level access than you would get in JavaScript. Yeah, I mean, if you think about like what an assembly language is, it's something that the target natively understands. And so this is, I guess, where that breaks down a bit. But we're used to delivering executables onto an operating system. Um, that's been compiled for that operating system and linked and then just runs there making native system calls. And this is, in effect, doing that, except instead of an OS, you have a browser. Yes. So looking yep. at WebAssembly.org, there's a page called Use Cases and a heading called Inside the Browser. And some of the examples it gives are image video editing, image or video editing, uh, games, um, image recognition, music streaming applications, uh, computer-assisted design applications, VR and augmented reality, uh, remote desktop, VPN, encryption, uh, basically things that you would normally run as a desktop application, you would now think about running in the browser. So pretty interesting, again, as you said, in terms of application delivery and thinking about the browser as a standalone operating system. My question is, what about the interface? Like browsers are interfaces, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how does that work with WebAssembly? Do you have a like a windowing system? Do you is there a DOM? I mean, where does that fit into this? Yeah, my understanding is there's still a DOM. So you can still write out to the DOM. You're just doing a lower level access to when when you need it. But um 
I don't know, I might be wrong about this. I haven't done anything with WebAssembly, and like everything I've seen has been really cool, but I haven't ever dug into it. So uh, we should have probably read about it before we started to talk about this today. But forgive us for our ignorance, and if you are turning and being like, ah, oh, they know nothing about this, well, we will put, put some links in the show notes once we've read a bit more as well. So, or you could come on the show and, and educate us and everyone else. I mean, yeah. I was doing a, I was doing a little research, and it seems like there is, uh, in general, some confusion because I think front end people already think about front end code, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's like a client side application or just front end code, and back end people don't think about like deploying an application. Well, I don't know. Maybe we think about deploying an application in the browser, but we're very like client server architecture oriented so i'm not sure how this fits into that paradigm if um if i write an application in elixir that targets WebAssembly and then gets deployed into the browser uh how does how does how does that work like is there still a central server is there a database somewhere else that it has to talk to yeah i mean you're still writing a, a, an app right like you're, everything else, everything you're doing is just like what you're doing today. It's just that you can get much better performance out of writing the application because you're not going through JavaScript and the, the runtime and V8 and everything else that's been there uh, inside of the browser to then execute whatever that client application is. And you're doing that in some compile time language where you ship a bunch of WebAssembly to the browser that then gets executed. But a lot of it is like they're not reinventing the wheel entirely i mean they're they're reinventing half of the wheel (laughs) but um yeah and it's really like really this is designed primarily for very research like resource intensive applications so i think on that note we should segue back to lumen and elixir right so Let's just let's just say that right now WebAssembly is this way where you can get much better performance and have a different runtime than running in JavaScript and V8 and whatever the other engines are running out there in the browser right now, and you get much lower level access to the browser APIs. Right? I think that we can agree on that part. Yeah. Sure. Let's go with it. <laughs> okay. Um, so then, how does Elixir fit into this? Right. That's that's kind of an interesting question. So. Lumen is effectively a compile target for WebAssembly where you can write Elixir code, it gets compiled down to WebAssembly and then executed inside of the browser. So immediately you might be like, well, what about the Beam? How did they deal with the virtual machine and things like that? Um, well, first of all, definitely go and watch the Lumen talk. It is a very deeply technical talk um, and they... There's a, there's a lot of detail in there, which was somewhat difficult to watch at points at 9 a.m. in the morning when I was like, how do compilers work? Um, trying to remember <laughs> things about that. But um, it was a, I, I'm definitely going to go and rewatch it. There was, there was a lot in there. And, and it talked a lot about the challenges that they had to overcome in order to actually make this thing work. So I think the first thing to note is they are not shipping the beam into WebAssembly and then executing that inside of your browser. What they're actually mm-hmm. doing, they've effectively rewritten a scheduler um, that will schedule Elixir code and execute it so that you can have some of the things that we're used to in the Beam and obviously these uh, these these kind of concurrency primitives around processes and things like that. But effectively what they're doing is re-implementing the runtime of Erlang into this Rust-based WebAssembly compile time target. 
that will execute Elixir code. That's another interesting thing is the beam is written in C and this uh, lumen is written in Rust. And um, there's a couple other differences too. Like, for example, they are explicitly not supporting hot code reloading, mm-hmm. which as longtime listeners will know is one of my one of my pet features. But they can do certain optimizations by just taking all that stuff off the table. And I believe their reasoning is that people aren't really using it anyway. Um, and I mean, one of the challenges, which I think they're aware of, is that Beam has been around for a long time. And a lot of kinks have been ironed out. And so re-implementing that is, there's a lot to be done. So, um, I mean, good luck. That's a huge, huge effort. But start with the scheduler and then what? They have to implement a garbage collector or WebAssembly does that for you? Yeah, I think WebAssembly is going to do some of that. But they did talk about some of the challenges there as well, like around garbage collection Mm -hmm. um, of longer lived kind of strings and other objects on the heap um Mm -hmm. but yeah i think as a technical achievement lumen feels pretty impressive to be honest the fact that there was a demo that they could show that was actually running elixir code that compiled and worked and then executed inside of your browser and obviously is incredibly fast and all the rest of it and um they had some performance demos where WebAssembly was actually I think it ended up being faster than running on the beam, but I kind of not surprised with that as like some different trade-offs being made there as well. So Mm -hmm. um, we are going to try and get that team on the show really soon. So we'll be talking a lot more about Lumen and some of the interesting possibilities of it. But I want to just like give my slight take on where this could go and why I think it's kind of an interesting idea and it's an interesting technical exploration, if anything else. Um, I think what we can start talking about if we have Elixir running on the client side is something like Scenic, right? Scenic Scenic is a very interesting model whereby um, you're writing UI as processes that live inside of supervision trees and those processes communicate with each other as message passing. So Scenic is a framework designed right now to write GUIs in Elixir effectively. Um, there's had a lot of adoption in the nerves community and beyond and I think what's happening with Lumen obviously has very direct parallels with what's going on with Scenic first of all where you could think about writing web components or um, components of your web application as Elixir processes and model basically interactions and things like that as processes with message passing that all just runs inside of your browser Um so first of all, that is a very tantalizing, interesting possibility that, that Lumen could could get to. I think, as you said, the work involved there is going to be pretty like, damn, they've got a lot in front of them, right? Like, And you are they're obviously throwing away some of the work of the beam in order to get there. Um, and I think it's going to take a massive community effort as well. Um, but again, I think as a technical challenge it's it's really impressive and i'm excited to see like what happens there i i don't think for by any means that this is going to be the new way of writing applications and if it does in five years everyone can laugh at me for saying this but um yeah so we will be having them on the show we're linking to the video in the show notes please watch it and if you have some opinions and you want to tell us about how we got everything around WebAssembly wrong, 
you can get in touch with us as well. Cool. So uh, what other talks did you see that were were great? Oh, you know what talk had probably the best demo I've seen in a while was Justin Schneck's talk. Which uh, one was that? It was the Friday keynote, the morning keynote, when he oh, had yeah, all those yeah, devices yeah. hooked together, uh, running Snake, and then he had another Raspberry Pi that was running a Nerves Hub, and then another device that was like a main screen, and live, he uploads a new version of the firmware to this local Nerves Hub, which is running on a Raspberry Pi, that then pushes it out to its networked nine Raspberry Pis, and then it's all updating, like it's... It's showing the status of uh, the firmware updates in real time because it's also a web server. And um, I was talking to Frank about it later, <laughs> right after the talk. And he was like, I'm still shaking because that, that demo had me so on edge because it was like, everything's <laughs> going to go wrong. I can't believe he's doing this. <laughs> it was an incredible demo. And honestly, like what they're doing over in, like the, with all the Nerves Hub work is incredible as mm-hmm. well. They are just like, that they're, they're such they're setting such a good example in the community as well and um yeah just shout out to that whole nerves team that they, they do such a good job and it's so awesome to see it as well yeah the developer user experience of like but wait there's more and we also have like the terraform scripts so you just right. download them and then you can run your own nerves up and like you don't even have to do anything we've done it for you it's like oh thanks guys yeah and uh yeah they're just doing great work so it's really cool to see that definitely definitely one of the best demos out there as well so you should mm-hmm. check out that video um i want to call out a couple of the other talks that i saw that i thought were really excellent um over the couple of days that we were there at ElixirConf. so um first of all one from john greenman uh who's an engineer at PagerDuty, um which was about elixir and cqrs uh, at PagerDuty, and th- he really went into depth about talking about evolving a service over time. Um, and I learned through talking to him that there are 200 engineers at PagerDuty writing Elixir, which is wow. kind of incredible. And uh, that is a company that just IPO'd this year as well. So if anyone says to you, where is Elixir being used? You can point them directly at PagerDuty and say, this company is using it for some of their critical services. So that's a fantastic talk. Highly recommend going to watch it. Um, and obviously, all of these things will be in the show notes. A um, couple of other things that I loved. Uh, Miriam's talk on uh, the Beam Extreme, don't do this at home, was just full of so many good tidbits about how to get some really great performance out of uh, out of your software, and she just kept showing example after example about um, ways of like improving the performance, and it was a very enjoyable and fun talk as well. Yeah, and she would bring up a lot of there weren't misconceptions, but just like oh, you think this is happening, but really this is something else. Like we've talked a lot on this show about ETS, uh, which is an in-memory key value store. And we say, oh, use it as a cache. It's great. It's got write concurrency and like it'll speed everything up, which is true, except when it's not. And as Miriam pointed out, when you take things out of ETS, it copies the data over. So if you have large binaries, that can uh, that can end up being quite the penalty, which, again, we don't think about and is not part of the first order conversation about ETS, but is there and will bite you. So you probably don't need to worry about that. Maybe you do, but, you know. Now you know. 
Yeah, I, I, I honestly like Miriam is one of those people in the community that has been doing this for a long time, especially in Erlang, and they have been dealing with problems at scale. And she's just got this great depth of knowledge. So it was really, really good to hear from her and just you know have that kind of imparted upon us as a community. And mm-hmm. obviously, a lot of those things in there come with a lot of caveats. Um, but sometimes, as she made the point of, sometimes you need that, right? Sometimes you need to drop into this these things and you need to reach for the like obscure solutions that maybe people tell you you shouldn't. But yeah, right. great talk. Um, so thank you, Miriam. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one I wanted to call out as well um, was Chris Keithley had a fantastic talk about contracts um, for building reliable systems. So uh, this is a talk that was really focused around contract-driven design. Um, so designing by contracts. And he talked. Chris talked about the limitations of type systems. It felt very closure. Um, a lot of those ideas are very heavily featured in the closure community. Um, but Chris kind of showcased a library called X-Contract, um, and then also showcase his own library called Norm um, that does a really good job of implementing these kind of contract-based designs um, and then showed you ways in which that could effectively improve your service, including some ways where you can basically do... Gener- you can generate data for your tests in um, in stream data or like your prop testing uh, through this library as well. So basically he was saying like, imagine you know your input. So you're saying this function should take an integer between zero and two, five, five. Now you know what your good range of inputs can be. Um, so therefore you can generate some values for your tests as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it was really interesting. It's like something that I haven't seen the community talk about before. Um, you know, I think a lot of people talk about type systems as some like, it's going to save all your problems and everyone should be doing it and why is an elixir more typed and chris kind of turned it off from an angle of like types are good but they don't necessarily guarantee integrity of your data and here is an approach where you can do some of that obviously it's going to be at runtime and some of it can be at compile time with obviously with some type checking um but talked a lot about some of the guarantees that and that you can then get at runtime with some of these things so really good talk definitely worth checking out Really enjoyable as well. Great speaker. So thanks, Chris, for that. I'm pretty sure he doesn't listen to this, given that he also hosts the competing Elixir pro- podcast, you know. I think Amos listens to this. Oh, hey. Well, thanks. Yeah. Hey, Amos. <laughs> um, um, well, speaking of speaking yeah. of types, I mean, Jose mentioned during his keynote, so what's, what's next for Elixir? Um, and on the show last year, we talked about his keynote last year. Where he said, like, I'm basically done with the language. And then the response was, like, what does that even mean? How could you be done with software? Like, what's next? And he brought up a bit of, you know, now what's next for me? Um, And there's still not going to be an Elixir 2.0, almost certainly. Uh, There will probably be an Elixir 1.10. In fact, there is an Elixir 1.10. There is. It's been announced. Yeah. 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 but there aren't going to be any big changes to the language that would require a major version bump. And yeah. so um, what he is going to work on is going lower in the stack. Um, and what's the stack? So there's Elixir, there's Erlang, there's Erlang Intermediate Representation, and then I think there's one other layer, and then there's Beam Bytecode, and then there's Assembly Language. So I don't know a lot of Erlang. I don't know how many listeners of this podcast know Erlang. But the fact is that this 
ecosystem gets a lot more interesting when you step out of Elixir and into Erlang. And uh, for example, the telemetry instrumentation project was originally written in Elixir to provide a really nice uh, portable format for instrumenting various parts of your application. Well, it turns out that because it was written in Elixir that Erlang libraries couldn't use it unless they imported Elixir and all this hokey pokey. So it made more sense to rewrite that in Erlang uh, which means that both Erlang and Elixir can use it. And so that, I think, is a good example of um, more interesting work and optimizations are happening at lower levels. So, um, side note, if anyone listening to this is interested in learning Erlang and contributing deeper, like please reach out to me because that's something I've been thinking about for a while. Um, not specifically how I can er- learn Erlang, but just the idea of like how do we get Elixirists into that so that they can contribute to this technology at a deeper level. Hmm. So um, that's something Jose is doing, uh, digging more into Erlang and the Beam and, and seeing what kind of uh, things are possible. It's funny, earlier in the episode, we mentioned like, oh, the Beam is battle-hardened and it's got 30 years. But at the same time, like there's tons of optimizations yeah. you can make. I mean... Uh, yeah, I think in Miriam's talk, she showed like performance gains of just upgrading OTP versions, right? She showed yeah. like going from 19 to 20 and getting like a 10% performance, which meant shutting off like 100 servers for them, which is kind of amazing, you know? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, this stuff is out there. It's not like it's not like it's a, a done deal. So, um, there is some interest. There are some interesting things happening there. And why did I get on this? Oh, yeah. In addition to going lower in the stack, Jose mentioned um, working more on um, not type analysis. He, I think, specifically avoided saying anything about types, but something about like seeing what we can infer from uh, from the data that we're passing around our programs, which to me sounded like a step up from type specs. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if you don't use a type spec, like how can the compiler look at what you're passing around and infer certain things? Of, yeah, about I, it, the data? It's, it, like it sounded like it was focused more around static analysis, which mm-hmm. was the kind of rumblings that I've heard as well. So I think Eric is leading that charge at brex right now which was what was announced in jose's keynote so Mm. no gossip here or anything um but i also uh it was funny when jose was like what's next for me people i think people were like freaking out that he's like i'm i'm done with the looks and this is it (laughs) um it's kind of funny it's like i think it's i think him moving lower in the stack makes perfect sense right he came up with this language, did a lot of research, has been very focused on getting it to a stable point and was very, um, I I was like very happy to hear him talk about stability and extensibility of the language. I think they are very important core concepts that um, if you go back and listen to the episode with us, with Jose, he talks a lot about as well. And it's really been the guiding light of Elixir for a long time. Um, And I think, you know, that as a principle in a community is that's really good you know like it's good for all of us to know that like there aren't going to be breaking versions every six months of this language and that it's mature and you can guarantee that you can keep building on tools on top of it and things are going to keep working you know and not Um, just that i think um there's a danger of if you continue development there's a danger of continuing down the wrong path and i think this is one of the issues that afflicted the closure community where Cognitech just you know, they, people would open issues with the language and say, "Oh, we want more emphasis on this or that," and then they were like, "Okay, whatever. Like, we are going to do what we want to do with this because it's their language. That's fine." 
Um, but then it ends up pulling the whole scene in a direction. Mm. And by saying, no, we're really not going to do much. Like, it's all up to the community. Then um, you don't have that problem of, like, making decisions that will necessarily alienate some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, no, it's a great point. Yeah, I think I think not doing something is often the right answer. Yeah, and, like, you know what? I think... I think it's going to be beneficial for the whole community, Jose kind of moving lower down and doing some work there. And he's already put in patches um, before that have been good, like had performance gains in Elixir. So I'm really excited to see where that leads, you know. Um, and I think also on the static analysis comment, I think like I'm I'm definitely interested to see what like what, what could happen there and like mm. what other gains we could get. Um, I, I, Dialyzer is a good tool it's not a great tool by any means and I think there's definitely room for improvement there um, obviously it helps right like I'm not I'm not knocking it by any means there um, I think that yeah I, th- I just think there's room for improvement and I'm glad to see that people are we're, we're making an investment as a community into that and like I'm hopeful hopeful that that will lead and yield to some sorry yield to lead to some good results <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. tripped over all my words. Um, but what else did you see, Desmond? Did you see the Hastega talk? No, you you probably didn't, right? Have you heard no. about Hastega? Uh, I have heard about Hastega, which is now named Peleme, by the way. Um, so uh, this is like one of those, you know, when you go to a conference talk and you're like oh, this is, like, really researchy and really cool and they're showing some, like, really interesting ideas. This was, like, one of those kind of talks, which I'm, like, even if it just stays theoretical, I'm, like, this is great, perfect kind of example of a good technical uh, conference talk that was really enjoyable to watch and a lot of fun as well. Um, So, Hastega is a set of extensions on top of Elixir that allow us to get better performance across GPUs is my understanding of it. Um, and obviously GPUs are fantastic at floating point calculation. And uh, that is something traditionally that the Beam has been okay at, but not great. And it's one of the areas where people talk about the poor performance of the Beam. So Hastega will, and sorry, I, I need to cut, start calling it Pelame because that was what the big reveal of the conference talk um that was that it was being renamed and there was a a long bit of the talk that went into detail about like why they chose that name as well which was absolutely incredible so yeah uh, i remember that yeah the the japanese guys that yeah talk and he's going into all this detail about like it's got to be robust like the earth yeah it was so good it was such a fun visionary like the wind it's like oh okay cool (laughs) well they talked about samurai and zen and it was yeah it was just so Great. good it was so like nice to bring in elements of culture into this talk talk about where they're from and um and this big this battle this very famous battle that happened and that's where some of these ideas came from for the name mm-hmm. um but anyway so the the idea of it is to basically get better performance out of elixir by compiling down onto and writing and executing um simd instructions which are optimized to run across um i think not just on the gpu but they're i think they're like they basically run on the cpu or the gpu is my understanding but um i could be wrong about this as well but anyway 
interesting kind of ideas in that talk for where we could get some performance gains in the future and just a really enjoyable conference talk as well. So, yeah, definitely one to check yeah. out. Great. Um, yeah, and then I just want to touch on Chris McCord's closing keynote as well. So Chris talks a lot about Live View, obviously. He goes without saying. It was a big release of Phoenix for this year. Um, did you catch that one? No. The closing keynote? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay, cool. Um and there's been some really interesting advancements in live view and Chris did a live coding demo of showing uh going from basically no infinite scroll to infinite scrolling on a list view and having these append operations so it just continuously appends to a list and really really interesting demo very like very compelling um and they've there's been a lot of fantastic work done on Live View, and they actually announced that it's got to zero point one as well now. Yeah, yeah one of um, one of the new features is the idea of a prepend and append operation to Live View variables. In the past, you would have to replace um, whatever was in the variable, which uh, is expensive. <clears throat> uh, it's not expensive. I mean, it, it duplicates data. Uh, or you end up throwing away a lot of data and then you have to replace whole chunks of the DOM and this is a way to just like keep tacking on. And so the major use case for this is, of course, not infinite scrolls, but chatting, which I guess is kind of like an infinite scroll when you think yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a much welcome, much welcome addition. I mean, it's been on the roadmap for a while, but we're glad it made it. Yeah, I thought I thought Chris did a good job of like giving the caveats of live view as well at the beginning of which, you know, there are some. Um, and we've talked about those before, like the offline kind of mm -hmm. no offline, obviously, because you're doing everything on the server. Um, but he showed some really interesting demos where the performance, you know, the performance is very impressive mm -hmm. and the optimizations that can be done um, because you've got all the state on the server and you can do a diff. Therefore, you can have incredibly like fast, small updates back to the client. And all of that, I think, is very, very impressive. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been a proponent of live view for a while but the the interesting thing about that he mentioned um in the talk was when he first announced it a year ago they were like this is not good for games or for chat or whatever and then a year later like people are making a ton of games in this yeah have you been looking at all the twitter demos though? yeah it's it's yeah, yeah. super fun and now of course chat is is a big thing and so mm. i wonder like are people just going to continue to push this in ways that the creators didn't anticipate. I am sure. Uh, inevitably with projects, it kind of goes like that, I think, right? It just makes it so easy to make interactive stuff on the web with Elixir. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like like I said, I think everything is, like, it's very impressive, like, seeing it in action and seeing it, like, being implemented. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think, like, with that and with Lumen, I just... So, and this is a sentiment I've heard from a couple of people, which is like, sometimes it feels like we're going a long way out of our way to just not write JavaScript. Yeah. Which and which is, you know, I, it's okay. Like, if that's what we want to do as a community and that's where we want to put our investment, I think LiveView obviously represents a very, like, compelling reason for some people to come over to write Elixir because... Uh, I think there's a lot of kind of there's a lot of people who feel frustrated writing front end code, right? And I think sometimes writing complex JavaScript applications in clients is difficult. And 
I think that's totally reasonable. We've talked at length about that previously as well. I just like I just don't want us to become a community of JavaScript bashers. You know? So it's it's not that it's it's And not I don't that by JavaScript- the way, I but I just wanna can I just like clarify sure. that? I don't think we're necessarily wholesale doing that right now. Uh-huh. But I also don't think it's attractive to other communities being like Hey, we're doing this thing just because we don't want to write JavaScript, which kind of sounds like the message a lot of the time. So if it were a case of you can write your 20 lines of JavaScript or 20 lines of Elixir and we are biased towards Elixir. So that's what we're going to bend over backwards to do. uh, I think that would be a fair argument. If what you have, which is what we have, is you can write 100 lines of JavaScript or eight lines of Elixir. That's a different conversation. And not only are you writing a fraction of the number of lines of code, but now you don't have to deal with the uh, ceremony of, oh, now I have to specify an API call. Now I have to specify uh, a route. Now I have to specify a data format that's going over the wire. Like all that is taken care of for you. And that's just nice. That's really mm-hmm. great. And um, so I think that's the live view case. The, the Lumen case. So it's kind of interesting. Like if you take away the beam and I assume Lumen will have support for multi-schedulers and we'll have uh you know a schedule for each processor um uh, they can't do a lot of that there's okay. there's some massive caveats in with WebAssembly. Yeah. so even more interesting let's say you just have uh one scheduler so you don't have true concurrency um is it like is elixir the language um just on its own like more compelling than javascript the language and now you're saying okay well we're if if both of these things are on equal footing you know would you rather write one or write the other when one gives you this and the other gives you that i so my, i think my problem is is that it doesn't have to be an either or as well like it doesn't have to be like everything's in elixir or everything's in javascript like i'm I'm confused as to why we haven't explored a bit more of the middle ground with LiveView. Like, we're saying basically, like, LiveEX is the way where everyone wants to write these things. But, like, and that then that basically, like, th- th- here's the thing, man. Like, JavaScript, as much as people can hate it as a language and hate the complexity of building its applications, it's had, it's got a shit ton of, sorry, it's got a lot of resources around it and a lot of time, investment, optimization, libraries, et cetera, et cetera. It has a huge ecosystem, right? Forgoing all of that is not necessarily a smart move as well. You know, there are like numerous component libraries now that work incredibly well out of the box that are written for React. Let's just say, let's take a popular framework that you are basically saying like, we can't use because we're optimizing to do this entirely in Elixir because... That's what we like writing. And right? don't don't forget all those JavaScript libraries for left justifying a string. I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, yes, there is no good standard library in JavaScript. Mm. It's a thing. And yes. But I think the language, I think like it's unfair to the language to be like just dismissing it. You know, it's made like it's made a lot of progress over the last few years. There are like we're writing very interesting complex apps hell like right now we're using hangouts which is written using web technologies right like yeah but the whole, the whole thing is just a sunk cost fallacy it's like well the stuff's already out there it's already been using been used for a while so why don't we just keep using it it's like i i, I but i don't think that's the thing that i'm getting at i think that i i don't think it puts us in a great light as a community basically saying that hey, we're doing all these things just so we don't have to write JavaScript, snark, snark, you know? 
I, I like how is that good? That's like that that is not a great attitude to have as a community about another community right out there, right? How how is that attractive? Like I like writing JavaScript, man. Mm-hmm. Does that does that mean that like you know I should not be looking at Elixir then? Because you know if I was a bit more like. If I was a bit more of the attitude like, well, they're being a bit mean to this community that I know, then I might not find that, I might find that kind of unfair and I might not actually appreciate that attitude, you know? Uh, I I would be more sympathetic to that if we were comparing, again, like 80 lines of JavaScript to 80 lines of Elixir and it was some uh, personal I, I just preference. don't buy the argument that Live View is like this, this like gift to the world of front end. Have you, you, know? have you used Live View? No, but every time I see it, I'm like, yes, you've done a simplistic demo out of a pagination or some update of like a, a simple part of the DOM. I just like okay, so like I think try there's it. a lot of apps that are a lot more advanced than that. That so try like, using Live View. I mean, and they're they're explicit that like this is not suitable for extremely complex apps. You know, that's out there. They've said from day one, like client side JavaScript libraries will have their place. Uh, the problem is that people use it for everything, even very simple use cases, admin dashboards and so forth, that just don't need all this code to do basic stuff. And we've been conditioned to think that uh, this stuff isn't basic or we need to have a transpiler just to show, um, I don't know, like uh, tabs to show or hide different elements of the DOM. And it's like, it doesn't have to be that way. And I think if you start questioning assumptions for, well, what if we don't need to do that? It's like, yeah, if, if you want to keep doing this, that's fine. But here's an alternative that is much simpler, has much less overhead, doesn't require cross-language uh, mental modeling. You don't have to think about a lot of the stuff going over the wire. Like, isn't that a net win? I think that's a net win. And if you are building a crazy application, then absolutely use React. I mean, there are, yeah, that has its place. But its place is smaller than a lot of people realize. I'm just, I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I, th- I think all of these things is like technical achievements are really good. I just worry about like, like, I, I think like yes, we're doing this, but like we're sinking a ton of time as like as a community into this project, right? Is it really going to be the thing that draws other developers into Elixir? Like, I don't think it's going to be the killer tech. Like, like everyone thinks it's going to be. I think, I, I think it's, I honestly think it's very hard to disrupt that world now. And what I'm trying to advocate for is a bit more like integration with the world of JavaScript engineers rather than like antagonizing, you know? I don't think it's antagonistic because it's not like we're saying, yeah, yeah, do our thing instead. It's that we're saying, well, we can do a lot more without you. <laughs> Yeah, but that isn't the sentiment. It's like, huh, who wants to write JavaScript? That's often... Like, don't tell me you haven't heard that. I mean, I've said that. I, I don't want to write yeah, JavaScript. Yeah, right, right, right. Exactly. I, like, that's, but that's my point. It's like, I just don't think we... I think we can say, like, here's an interesting alternative without scoffing at another community. Do you not? Uh... Yeah, I just think it's sort of inherent that we're like, well, we want to use this because we think it's superior. And the moment <laughs> yeah, you say like, course, all right, I mean, well, I everyone's th- going to think their new thing that they poured thousands of hours into is superior, right? Like, well, yeah. of course, like, yeah. Otherwise, why do it? But like, I, I don't know. I just like, I'd be interested for someone to explore like something that is a bit more integrated into the world that other people are writing today as well. You know, like, what does, what does like, 
what does live view look like if you took some of the interesting like state on the server models and integrated it more with a transport layer that maybe maybe looked a bit more like GraphQL for the querying, kept all that state on the server and knew how to do diffs back to the client, something a bit more like that, right? Like that could maybe integrate more deeply into the ecosystem that's there. Like what benefit would that, would be? that bring? Maybe a killer way to write web applications where everyone would be like, that's a really good use case for Elixir. But why, how is that superior to the current situation? Because you can get better performance. Um, you can have a more simplistic programming model. I think like I, I a hundred percent agree with the sentiment that writing everything in the client is not a good idea, by the way. I just want to put that on record. I think that big complex JavaScript applications are just that they're big and complex and effectively to do anything interesting you have to know the state of the world a lot of those a lot of that means that you have to do very complex state management you have to have a lot of state on the client you end up duplicating a lot of logic especially around permissions and things like that and there i totally agree that there has to be a better way is that live view i don't know i think live view is interesting for doing things in the middle definitely I agree that there is, it's an either or right now. I totally agree with that sentiment. And yes, it's interesting to do something a bit more in the middle. But is there something where we can actually like make a better world for the people who don't want to wholesale switch and write every single thing in Elixir using Elixir? That's my pitch. I think that's an excellent rallying cry. Thanks. Hey, I heard there's a MPEX conference coming up about real-time applications. Yes, folks, MPEX LA, which is happening on Saturday, February 8th, 2020 in Los Angeles, California. I should say sunny Los Angeles, California, uh, is a one-day single-track conference. It's the MPEX you have probably heard of and hopefully come to love. And we're focusing on real-time applications this year. So not just Live View, um, not just Elixir, but how do we build real-time applications in 2019? What are... UX concerns? What are design concerns? What are data storage patterns? Uh, what are architectural patterns? What does it look like? I mean, I think that this kind of interactivity should be everywhere. And it's a lot easier now than it ever was. And so I expect to see it in a lot more places. And it's not just about pushing stuff out over live view or writing your front end in React. Like there are a lot more questions to... Um, to deal with and use cases to think about. And I want to spend a day exploring that. So if uh, you're an engineer or a DBA or a product manager or a designer, I hope there are product managers and designers listening to this podcast, but uh, please submit a talk, uh, get in touch with us. And um, yeah, I hope to see you then. Our CFP is open at mpex.co slash LA. And if you'd like to sponsor MPEX, please also get in touch. Our prospectus is up on our website. So um, CFP is open for a few more weeks, uh, so be sure to check that out. And we hope to see you in L.A. on Saturday, February 8th, 2020. Yes, I will hopefully be there. Maybe we will develop this into something that's a thing by then. Who knows? In all our but, brawl. Yeah, but uh, I just want to like I just want to say one thing as well, which is I... I'm really happy Live View exists, and I'm really happy that as a community, people are still doing it, by the way. I just want to make that clear, and I don't... I'm not dismissing any effort that's been put into that. I'm challenging it from a perspective of, is there more we could do, you know? And hopefully that's clear. 
Cool. So, <laughs> just wanted to wanted to wanted to not sound like an <laughs> asshole on on a recording, which I probably did a bit. But there we go, folks. And I think with that, I, th- I think we can wrap up this show, right? Um, cool. It's been a bit of a long one. ElixirConf was great. I just want to say thank you to everyone who spoke, everyone who came up to see us, everyone who attended the MPEX drinks on the Friday night, um, everyone who ran trainings, and shout out to all the organizers of ElixirConf as well. It's great to see the community kind of growing. It's been a few years since I've been, and it's bigger, and uh, yeah, it's really good to see. So, Yeah, and the sponsors as well. Um, we organize a conference oh, ourselves, yeah. and uh, <laughs> these things would not happen without the sponsors. So, Yes, thanks to the sponsors, definitely. And thanks to my cat, who's also one of the sponsors. <laughs> For meowing <Yeah>. a lot. <laughs> Um, cool well I guess that's it folks thanks for listening to through that rant through us talking about things and hopefully it gives you some ideas and hopefully we can take this as a conversation and keep rolling with it and as we said before um, we'll put all of the links to the talks that we mentioned in the show notes we will also hopefully have the Lumen crew on the podcast in the near future so look out for that one and yeah hope to hear from you if you have any thoughts as always, uh, you can ask a question on our Twitter page, which is Twitter, Twitter page, Twitter account, who knows, twitter.com forward slash Elixir Talk, or you can open up an issue at github.com forward slash Elixir Talk forward slash Elixir Talk. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do so at elixirtalk.com. There's links to mine and Desmond's Twitter there. Um, and yeah, thanks so much for listening. As always, keep, keep Elixir in.